Welcome to the One Bite Vegan Food for Thought Summit, a series of 15 podcasts that present different aspects of a vegan lifestyle from some of the most prominent thought leaders in veganism. Perhaps you want to learn how to be a better advocate for animals. Maybe you want to feel confident about raising your family on a plant-based diet. Proudly sponsored by VegFund, the One Bite Vegan Food for Thought Summit's for you. Hello and welcome to the One Bite Vegan Food for Thought Summit. I'm your host, Emma Leticia. And in this episode, we're talking to Wendy Werner, founder of the award-winning The Nomadic Vegan Travel Blog. Wendy is an intrepid world traveler, vegan foodie, and animal lover. And in addition to creating The Nomadic Vegan, she's also the author of the book Veggie Planet. She uncovers vegan treasures across the globe so that you can be vegan anywhere and spread compassion everywhere. Oh, I love that. Wendy, thanks for joining us to talk about traveling as a vegan. Thank you so much for having me, Emma. I'm really excited to be here. (laughs) What initially inspired you to create The Nomadic Vegan? Well, I created The Nomadic Vegan right after I became vegan myself, actually. And I had a transition period that lasted for a few months where I really wanted to be fully vegan. And the more I educated myself and the more I found out about everything that was happening to animals in the meat and dairy and egg industries, I really felt like that was what I needed to do in order to be true to myself. But there were a couple of things that were holding me back, a couple of fears and misconceptions that I had. And one of the biggest ones was that I thought that being vegan would ruin travel. And that was a huge problem for me because travel was a huge part of my life and it still is. It's been a big passion of mine for many years. I've been traveling all over the globe to all seven continents and at this point more than 100 countries. And I didn't know if it would be possible to be vegan in some of the places where I'd already been and also some of the places where I, I still wanted to go. And I didn't know if I was willing to make the sacrifice of, you know, missing out on those travel experiences. But then once I finally gave it a try, I decided to do a trial run. My husband and I had already booked a trip to Greece. We were going to be in Greece for three weeks. And so I decided I would try to stay vegan for the three weeks that we were in Greece. And if I was able to do that, then I you know, would have to rethink my conceptions about what vegan travel was really like. And so I landed in Greece and was actually blown away by the number of vegan options that I found there and the number of naturally vegan dishes that I found were part of the traditional Greek cuisine. So I had an amazing foodie experience there and that's when I became vegan. The day that my plane landed in Athens is the day that I celebrate my anniversary every year. So that day was September 10th, 2014. So it's now been about five years. And as soon as I got back home from that trip to Greece was when I started the website. And I kind of already had the idea for it in my head. Even on the trip, I was taking notes and planning things that I was going to write about because I knew that other people must have the same fears and misconceptions that I had about what it was like to travel as a vegan. So I created the Nomadic Vegan to dispel those myths and to show people that it's a lot easier than you think and that you really can be vegan anywhere. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's interesting, isn't it? Because 
food is so ingrained in a lot of cultures. It's funny when you, you when you say you were in Greece, you wouldn't automatically think that there would be a lot of traditional dishes that were vegan, but that seemed to be your experience in a lot of countries. Which destinations have you expected the worst from in terms of vegan friendliness that have been pleasantly surprised by? Yeah, so you're right. I mean, that's not the image that most people have of Greece. Most people would think about souvlaki, you know, the kind of kebabs and meat on a stick kind of thing, which is certainly there, but there's a lot more to it. And there are, yeah, dozens of totally vegan or plant-based dishes that are in Greek cuisine. And part of that is because of the geography, you know, the Mediterranean climate, and part of it is from religion as well, because in the Orthodox Church, you have this fasting tradition, and what they refer to as fasting doesn't mean that you don't eat at all. It means that you don't eat certain things, and so people who are fasting are essentially eating a vegan diet with maybe one or two exceptions. So yeah, those were things that I learned when I was there. Yeah, I also didn't realize that Greece was going to be so vegan friendly. And there have been other places that I thought were going to be really difficult and then turned out not to be difficult. Actually, I'm right now, as I speak, I'm traveling in Russia and I'm going to be traveling for the next few months. I'm taking the Trans-Mongolian train all the way across Russia and into Mongolia and then continuing on to China and South Korea and Japan. And I'd say all of those countries actually have pretty bad reputations as far as not as far as being difficult in one way or another for vegan travelers. Mm. And so I'm looking forward to, you know, busting those myths as well and seeing what I find. Mongolia in particular, I'm really curious about how that's going to go because Mongolia has been a country where I've dreaded the food for years, even before I was vegan, when I would eat meat, but I wasn't I wasn't a big meat eater. I wasn't, I didn't really, you know, I wasn't comfortable with the idea of eating animals, but I did eat animals as long as it was little kind of unidentifiable bits and I could, you know, didn't have to think about. Yeah, yeah. But I've heard horror stories from so many people who've been to Mongolia about just how terrible the food is and how day after day you eat nothing but mutton which is, well, mutton can refer to either lamb or goat meat. So I believe it's probably lamb for the most part in Mongolia, but it could be goat as well. And that is, so I've been told is a main staple of the diet. And, you know, that's what you're fed every day. And your clothes and everything start to smell like mutton. And, you know, everyone talks about how horrible it is. And I've, I've always thought that that would really be the most difficult place in the world to be vegan. So I will be able to tell you in about a month from now when I'm there what the reality is. But having researched it and having spoken to Mongolians, to vegan Mongolians who are living there now, I am a lot more positive about it because there is actually a very you know, strong and growing vegan movement in Mongolia. 
In many cases, people are turning to veganism for health reasons and also for spiritual reasons. And so there's actually a woman who is trying to start up a vegan travel agency in Mongolia. And I'm hoping that I am able to work with her. She's kind of just getting started. So I'm not sure if you know, she'll be in a position or not where we can work together, but I'm really hoping so. And in any case, you know, vegan travel is coming to Mongolia. It's happening. So yeah, I really see that as the final frontier. Like I said, if Mongolia is going vegan, then that means that the whole world is going vegan (laughs) because I really don't think it could get any more, you know, non-vegan than a nomadic herding culture where, you know, people are nomads and travel across the stepland, the grassland from one place to another so that they can feed their cattle and their sheep and so that and that's what they live off of. You can't really grow vegetables in most parts of the country. You have the Gobi Desert where nothing grows and then you have other vast grassland areas. So it's a real challenge for following a vegan diet, but people are doing it, which is really inspiring to see. And so, yeah, I will report back in about a month or so once I'm there. But yeah, I think that it's, I think it's going to be really good. And, you know, I've traveled enough as a vegan at this point that I just don't worry anymore because it's happened so many times, you know, I went to France, to Normandy in the north of France, where everything is made with butter and cheese. And I thought, oh, gosh, what am I going to eat? And it turned out not to be a problem. The people there were quite friendly and willing to accommodate, which was the opposite of what I had been told. I had, again, heard horror stories about how you know, the waiters and the staff in the restaurants would say, oh, no, we can't change the menu. This is what we have. And you have to take that or leave it. But that wasn't my experience. Chefs were very happy to just create something for me out of whatever they had in the kitchen. And, you know, that might not be a lot. It might It was usually vegetables of some sort. They wouldn't have tofu or seitan or tempeh or or those kinds of things. But they would be happy to find whatever they could for me and then create a beautiful looking dish because, you know, presentation is very important in French cuisine. So it always came out beautifully plated. And I was just really grateful for whatever they were able to give me. So that's happened so many times. And now I just always know that it's going to work out one way or another, you know, because plant-based food is everywhere. I mean, perhaps apart from the steppelands, grasslands of Mongolia, like I was talking about earlier, but generally, you know, fruits and vegetables and grains and legumes and nuts and seeds, people eat those things all over the world. And you can always go into a supermarket, if nothing else, and find those things and get an Airbnb apartment that has a kitchen and you can cook for yourself if you really can't find anything in local restaurants. Although, you know, my experience, I do usually find options in restaurants. It's pretty rare that I do self-catering when I'm traveling. So yeah, there's been lots of experiences where I thought it was going to be difficult and it turned out not to be. And so now I'm just kind of expecting that it won't be difficult and that things will work out one way or another. Yeah, that's that's fascinating with your experience in France because, you know, I live in France and it is definitely getting easier to be 
a vegan living in France. The supermarkets now have vegan sections, which only three years ago you would never have dreamed of. You can get vegan magnums in the supermarket. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> so you said you've been in touch with the kind of vegan community in Mon- Mongolia before you've gone there. Do you do preparations before you travel somewhere to reach out to other vegans? So, And if you do, what is your kind of general advice to vegans traveling to destinations that might be less likely to be vegan friendly? Yeah, so I do do some preparation and some research beforehand. And the extent of research that I do does vary according to, you know, how widespread I think vegan food is going to be. So in some cases, it might start and end with a search on Happy Cow. And for anyone who's not familiar with Happy Cow, you need to download the app right now because that is going to be your number one friend when you're traveling as a vegan and even when you're eating out in your hometown. I mean, that's usually how I find out about new vegan and vegetarian restaurants that have opened up in the city where I live is by seeing them pop up on Happy Cow. So Happy Cow is a crowdsourced worldwide directory of vegan restaurants, vegetarian restaurants, and just restaurants with vegan options all over the world. And so in, I mean, I'm based in Lisbon, Portugal. And so a lot of the travel that I do is in Europe. And nowadays, any, you know, major European city is going to have probably so many options that you won't even have the time to try them all. Mm. So in those situations, you know, I don't need to do much more than just open up Happy Cow and choose which restaurants out of those listings look the best. But there are other cases where I need to do a little bit deeper research. And in that case, I would start by researching the local cuisine, like I did when I went to Greece, to find out, you know, what are some dishes that are going to be really common in any restaurant so that I don't have to limit myself to just certain restaurants that I've found on the app. I can go into any, you know, typical restaurant and find some of these dishes on the menu. And a lot of times that is the case, you know, and it is important to do that research beforehand because if it's a place where there's not a strong vegan movement and people don't really understand yet what veganism is, then those dishes aren't going to be marked as vegan on the menu. So you wouldn't know that they were vegan unless you had done that research before. But that can be really handy. And usually there are at least some dishes that are part of the local cuisine that are already completely plant-based or they can very easily be veganized just by asking the waitress, the server to leave off the cheese, for example. So yeah, I would do that first. And then I do sometimes reach out to vegans in that local community, either through Instagram or Facebook groups. Those are usually my go-tos. You could try Twitter as well. I don't, I'm not on Twitter as much as Facebook and Instagram, but Facebook groups are really handy because you could, you'll probably, if you search on Facebook, you'll probably find a group for vegans in your destination. So, you know, you would just type 
vegan and then the name of the city or the country that you're going to. And then you can join that group and ask the locals in that group for their advice about where to eat or what kind of dishes to look out for on menus or where to go shopping and what kind of ingredients you can expect to find in the local grocery stores and supermarkets. You know, they can give you all kinds of tips like that. And then Instagram can be a really good tool as well because of the hashtag searching feature. So you could search for Vegan Russia, for example. I'm following the hashtag Vegan Russia right now. And so every now and then I'll, I'll check and see what's being posted. And I might find out about restaurants that aren't listed on Happy Cow that people have posted photos of on Instagram. Or, you know, you can also use it as a way to connect with individual vegans who are living in that area. And then you can send them a private message and ask them, you know, for tips and you might even make a friend out of it. Yeah, that's a fantastic tip as well, isn't it? Because sometimes it really pays to have a local to show you around and take you off the beaten tourist track, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. That really makes a big difference. I know that you have guest writers on The Nomadic Vegan, but have you ever done any vegan travel writing for other publications or online titles? Yeah, I have. So I've done guest posts, guest articles on other blogs as well. Well, usually it's vegan bloggers, but I have also branched out to post on travel blogs more generally. So it might be run by someone who's not vegan. And so I would take kind of a different angle to the overall story, but then I would be sure to add something in about veganism somewhere in there. You know, as part of the recommendations of things to do in a city, I would recommend a particular vegan restaurant, for example. And that's something that I've been doing more of lately, both when I'm posting on other people's sites and when I'm posting on my own site as well, because I found it to be a really good way to reach a new audience and to reach an audience that is not vegan and would not go searching out a vegan travel blog. But if I can give other useful information about travel and then I can, you know, plant those seeds and give them those little tidbits to show them, hey, actually, you can eat vegan food there too. And yes, you can still travel while you're vegan and it can be a lot of fun and it's not as hard as it looks. Then I find that to be a great way of spreading the message. So yeah, to answer your question, yes, I do. I do from time to time write on other blogs. I have it when I have the time to. I did more of it in the beginning. And now that my own site has gotten larger and I've gotten a larger audience, it can be a lot to keep up with all of the social media channels and emails coming in and everything, especially while I'm traveling myself. So for example, right now, I'm on a trip that's going to last for about five months. And I doubt that I'll be writing guest articles during that time. I'll just be trying to keep up a regular posting schedule on my own site. But sometimes I'll do collaborative posts where I won't write a full article, but I'll write just a paragraph or two that will be included in an article on someone else's website. Because that's something that's a lot quicker and that I can still keep up with and manage while I'm traveling. Cool. So did you say you've been to over a hundred countries? Is that right? Yeah, that is right. So Russia, where I am now, is my 112th country. Oh my goodness. And what's 
I know this is a tricky question because there's so many different things to love about different countries, but do you have a favorite travel destination? Yeah, it is a really hard question, but usually I say that my favorite country of all time is Italy. Uh, Italy is a really special place for me, the whole country, but Rome in particular, for many reasons. I first arrived in Rome close to 20 years ago, actually, as part of kind of my first big trip abroad. And I was traveling around Western Europe on my own. And I ended up staying there and becoming a tour guide. So I would give walking tours around the city of Rome. And that's where I met my husband, who is Australian. And he was also backpacking around Europe on his own at that time. And he also stayed and became a tour guide in Rome. So the two of us worked there and lived there kind of off and on seasonally for a few years and really fell in love with the city. And we actually went back there to get married. When we did get married several years later, we weren't living at Rome in Rome anymore, but we wanted our wedding to be there because it has always been a really special place for us. Mm-hmm. So we still try to get back there as often as we can. And I just love Italy. I love so many things about it. I love the language. I love the art and the architecture and the food as well. It's another one that sometimes is misunderstood and can get a bad rap because everyone thinks that Italian food is, you know, everything is smothered in cheese. And that may be true in Italian restaurants outside of Italy. That's kind of the way that it's been you know, adapted and adulterated in other countries. But real authentic Italian cuisine doesn't have to be smothered in cheese at all. And it depends where you are because there are so many regional variations. Each of the 20 different regions in Italy has its own cuisine. But particularly in the South, it's actually a very plant-based way of eating. And there are so many different dishes that you know, you would never see in an Italian restaurant in Europe or in the States. They're very localized and very kind of regional, traditional specialties. So that's something that I really enjoy exploring when I'm there because there's always a new dish to to discover and to taste that I haven't tried yet. Yeah, and I've got a, an Italian friend that's vegan, and it seems like the vegan movement is growing quite a lot in Italy as well. Yeah, it is. And that's a recent thing. I mean, the vegan movement is growing all over all over Europe and, and the westernized world anyway. Yeah, a few years ago when I started the blog, it wasn't necessarily the case. And so I would have to explain to people that it was a vegan-friendly cuisine even though, you know, you probably wouldn't see the word vegan on the menu, things wouldn't be marked or things like that. But that's actually changing nowadays. You do see options marked as vegan. You see vegan cornetti, which are the croissants that Italians eat for breakfast. And that's the really typical Italian breakfast is a shot of espresso and a croissant. And you can find vegan croissants just about anywhere nowadays. It's become really common to offer that as an option. So yeah, that's really encouraging. Excellent. When traveling to places such as Asia and Africa, I mean, it's not limited to those destinations, 
but it can be easy to get enticed into activities such as elephant riding, etc. I know when my husband and I, we went traveling to Thailand, this was before we were vegan, but we kind of felt we wanted to go to one where they treated the animals, you know, better. <laughs> How can you, as a vegan, try to avoid those sorts of activities or become aware of things that might be exploitative to animals without you actually realizing? Yeah, it is really important to educate yourself and to do your own research and look at it objectively and don't take their the sanctuary or the zoo or whatever whatever kind of place it is don't take their claims at face value because unfortunately there are lots of places that put sanctuary in their name and they claim that they are helping the animals but what they're doing is is actually exploiting them for our entertainment so definitely don't elephant riding you gave as an example i would say don't ever promote or you know get involved with a place that's offering rides and I also wouldn't go to a place that is allowing you to bathe the elephants for example any kind of interaction really is not appropriate because they are wild animals and yes they may have been domesticated and tamed through really brutal and torturous means and so now they are you know docile around people, but that doesn't mean that we should take advantage of that and, you know, continue to take selfies with them and, you know, do things that we're doing for our own entertainment and not for what's in their best interest. So, yeah, I would say definitely do your own research. I could recommend a couple of resources that I learned a lot from when I first became vegan and was first becoming aware of these things. One is the podcast by Colleen Patrick Boudreau. She's been running her podcast for more than 10 years now. And so she's covered so many different topics about all the different ethical issues that come up with using animals in various ways, whether that's for food or for clothing or for entertainment or what have you. So her podcast episodes have answered a lot of questions that I had as a new vegan. And another one that I learned a lot from is the Bite Size Vegan channel on YouTube. Emily, who runs that that channel, she hasn't really been putting up many videos lately, but her back catalog is really educational and really useful for someone who wants to, yeah, know, is it ethical to do certain things? And if not, why not? So I would look at resources like that. And yeah, in general, I would look at resources made by vegans because you will have other sources out there, you know, writing about, oh, is it ethical to ride camels? And they might come to the conclusion that yes, it's fine to ride camels. But if you approach it from a vegan perspective of trying to do, trying to avoid the exploitation of animals as far as is practical and possible, then you're probably going to come to a different conclusion. Yeah, no, that's really great advice. And funnily enough, Colleen Patrick Rudeau is one of our other podcast interviewees for the summit. So that's a fantastic shout out for her. And I agree with Emily from Bite Size Vegan. I know she puts hours and hours of research into her videos. So she is definitely a fantastic resource to look up. 
that almost brings us to the end, Wendy. But just quickly, the Nomadic Vegan, you've got loads of great resources to help other people travel and stay vegan. Do you want to just let us know what people can expect when they visit the Nomadic Vegan website? Sure. Yeah. Well, I've tried to make it your one-stop shop, if you will, for all of your vegan travel needs. And I'm constantly adding new content there. I post every week, every Sunday, there'll be a new blog post up about a different location. And so you can search there, first of all, to see if I've already covered destination. And you'll find more general tips that you can apply to traveling all over the world as well. So I've got a book, an ebook called Nine Steps for Easy Vegan Travel. And you can download that absolutely for free from the website from the nomadicvegan.com. And that gives you all of my top tips for finding vegan food no matter where you are. Fantastic. Okay, that brings us to the end. Wendy, thank you so much for your time and have a fantastic trip. We really look forward to checking out how it goes, reading all your blog posts. Yeah, thank you. I I look forward to it too. (laughs) Great. If you'd like to learn more about Wendy's work on The Nomadic Vegan, make sure you click on the link for her bio in today's email where you'll find details of her website and social media channels. Thank you for listening and being part of the One Bite Vegan Summit. Remember, one bite is all it takes to make a change. Thank you for listening and being part of the One Bite Vegan Summit. Be sure to keep up to date with the latest One Bite Vegan online events and free resources, including the One Bite Vegan blog and digital magazine by connecting with us via our website, onebitevegan.com. Remember, one bite is all it takes to make a change.